0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. You can follow along with me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We do have Redemption Hill kids today, but before they go, uh, we want you to know that they'll be talking about John 3. Verses 1 through 21 in the story of Nicodemus. They will also, uh, that that intersects with a portion of our confession of faith. And I think that might be up here in a moment. Uh, But I'll read it. The gospel is the only outward means of revealing Christ and saving grace, and is, as such, abundantly sufficient for it. However, men who are dead in trespasses may be born again, quickened or regenerated only if there is an effectual, irresistible work of the Holy Spirit upon the whole soul, producing in them a new spiritual life. Without this, no other means will affect their conversion to God. All right, Redemption Hill kids, ages two to five, and grades one through three can be dismissed. We do have activity bags at the welcome table, and everyone else may be seated.
1: So if you're thinking to yourself, bro, you said we were going to be in Hebrews this Sunday. What's up with that? You'd have every right to register your complaint. (laughs) Um, If you're on our email list, I I sent the liturgy page out and I just simply explained, you know, I had probably uh, 80% of Hebrews 10 verses verses 1 to verse 18 done, you know and then I can't remember if it was Thursday or Friday. I was thinking, I was praying about Sunday, and it just felt like, you know, with a new year, it'd be a good opportunity to kind of step back and preach on what is the most important topic, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's set a trajectory for our hearts and minds, right? Toward Jesus. And so that's that's what I, uh, it's the re- rationale, I guess, as to why I kind of shifted gears. Um, now, if I come to you next Sunday, and I'm not in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 18, you can grab one of the what do you, what, 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 those things, those long hooks, that so you just kind of pull the person off stage. You can go ahead and grab that, and you can just pull me right off and remind me of what I promised you to do. <laughs> so, but I do, I do want to set the tone for 2024 And there's no better way than talking about the gospel itself. So let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into today's message. Heavenly Father, as we sang, our sins are many, but your mercy is more. How abundant is your mercy and grace toward us because of the life, death, resurrection and ascension and current and sovereign reign of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only have you extended mercy through a bloody cross, you continue to extend mercy by allowing us to breathe the air, by supplying oxygen to our blood. Oh, we have every reason to rejoice and be grateful and to give you glory this morning. And I pray that would continue through the preaching of your word. Keep air from my lips. I pray for my friends that are in front of me this morning. Would you work in their minds and hearts and their lives? And I trust that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are indeed doing that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, another year has come. Another year is gone. The question that came to my mind as I pondered the year ahead is, you know, what passage from Holy Scripture might set the tone for the year, right? What passage from the Bible will allow us to point, like, our compass into the proper direction? Of course, there are a lot of passages I could pull from. Honestly, I might not be asking a fair question since all of God's Word is profitable for our encouragement and instruction, But as it is, I'm asking the question kind of nonetheless. And as I pondered and prayed, what I need to preach quickly came apparent. And as I just shared before I prayed, I just got to preach the gospel. Side note, I'm not a big fan of churches or parachurch organizations that slap the word gospel onto everything. Um... They slap the word gospel or say gospel-centered, and all of a sudden they think they're a gospel-centered church or a gospel-centered organization, or whatever. Uh, that stuff kind of drives me nuts. The gospel is much deeper and wider and more pervasive than a slogan. They kind of put in the back of your car, a bumper sticker slogan or whatever. Why preach the gospel? First, I want this church and our lives to be rooted and shaped by the life, death, resurrection. And oftentimes we stop at resurrection, but I'm going to continue. Ascension and current sovereign reign of Jesus Christ. Right now, in this place, Jesus is currently reigning over all things. I want our lives, I want this church to be rooted in that and shaped by that. The gospel is not only a message to be shared, that's evangelism, right? It certainly is that. It is about a person, Jesus Christ, who needs to be applied to our lives. It is Christ who is the captain of the ship and whom we follow. Back to my previous point about how we oftentimes Take the word gospel and we just kind of make it a bumper sticker for our, our church or our parachurch organization. The gospel is not a trinket on a shelf that is simply collecting dust. We, we treat it like that sometimes, if we're being honest. And it's not that. It shouldn't be that at all. So we need to hear the gospel, be reminded of the gospel once again because our lives need to be rooted and shaped by the gospel. Second reason why I want to preach the gospel. So often in church culture, and if you've been a part of a church for like longer than a cup of coffee, this will resonate. We don't keep the main thing the main thing. Like, don't get me wrong, other topics matter. I love talking about secondary or tertiary theological issues, for example, right? I love doing it. Let's talk about eschatology, like Pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill. Let's have that discussion. That's super fun. I love it. I got opinions. Right, we talk about ecclesiology. We can talk about pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. Let's do that. Yes and amen all day long and twice on Sunday. One of the reasons why I love Redemption Hill is that we have a ton of in-depth theological issues, which is a sign, I think, of a healthy church. Man, if I chronicled for you all the text messages or voice messages I receive from people on a weekly basis about theology, we'd be, I'd be, be here all day. I love it. Our theological discussions go deep and wide. With this said, these discussions take place because of the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eternal reign of Jesus Christ. Those secondary and tertiary topics take place because they're rooted in that. If you talk about eschatology or ecclesiology or all the other ologies without tracing the discussion back to Christ, then you've lost the focus of what everything is all about. And those discussions do take place, right? There's another category that might cause us to lose sight of the gospel. And I'm calling this the preference category. Uh, I mean, have you ever been a, I've never been a part of this church, but I've heard stories where you got a church and like they all argue over the color of the carpet or whatever. I've heard stories, right? I've been a part of this kind of church though. Where where was uh, part of a church and the, in, the, in the same Sunday service, I had a person argue or complain about the music being too loud. Same service, another person complained about it being too uh, wasn't loud enough, right? Same service, <laughs> same music, right? What's with the acoustic guitar or the electric guitar or the piano? and You know, like the list goes on, right? You know, the Lord didn't save me to my early 2000s, right? Um, But I heard of the worship wars of the 90s. If there's one thing I've learned over years of pastoral ministry is that people have preferences, (laughs) right? I do. Um, and I'm not even saying like your preference is bad, right? You got them, I got them. That's great. What I'm saying is is that a preference cannot become a distraction of the main attraction. Oftentimes, that's what our preferences do. They become the distraction of what is or who is the main attraction, Jesus Christ. So we can we can have the conversation about preferences. If we need to jack, Ryan, should we just jack up the the sound? Or do we need to lower? Fine, but let's not get distracted. When debating a theological issue or voicing a preference, we often forget what is of first importance. We cannot forget the main thing. You're going to hear this over and over from me today. The life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The gospel does the gospel have a downstream effect on your theology and on your preferences? Oh, yes, it does. 100%. Absolutely. But let's make sure we keep things in the right order, right? As you can see from the public reading of Scripture, the passage that I want to allow allow to pause and reflect on is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1-11. through 11. The passage reminds us why the gospel must be the foundation of this church and of your life. And at the end of this message, you're going to see some downstream effects of the gospel. From the foundation, we can have a healthy dialogue over all the other issues. So this morning, I want you to to know if you will allow the word of God to stir your affections for a greater love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want that to happen this morning. Is the gospel, I'm asking this question to you, is the gospel of first importance in your life? Ask that question to your head and heart this morning. I want you to know, if you will come under the authority of the Word of God right now, if you can allow that, I trust that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and allow that question to penetrate your heart. That's kind of like my introduction onto this particular message. You know, since moving back to Iowa, well, over five and a half years ago now, I've been intentional chatting with folks in the community, right? And I've met with dozens of pastors. In my interactions, I have often wanted to hear the answer to this question. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ of first importance? like masking that to pastors. Of course, the answer does vary from person to person, or church to church, but in my interactions with individuals and pastors, I do not think it's a stretch to say that the gospel of Jesus Christ, generally speaking, is not of first importance. As a matter of fact, in this, what I call a post-Christian culture, it has been sad to see the lack of a gospel presence in particular in local churches. But it is not just the message of the gospel that has lost favor in the church. It's the teachings of Christ that have lost favor in the church, which shape the Christian life and allow for human flourishing. They're considered uncool or undated or sometimes bigoted. I I recall a conversation I had shortly after we moved back to Iowa. Prominent um, pastor, denominational leader, great guy. And I asked him over a cup of coffee And this is essentially the question. In the Des Moines Metro, what is the percentage of churches that preach the gospel? That was my question, right? I'll ask the question to you. What do you think the percentage is? And he's been a pastor for more than 20 years. He's like seven or 8%. Like, yikes. With a gluttony of churches in the Des Moines Metro, that is a, a sadly low statistic. Here's an interesting quote from 19th century pastor Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He quote about the gospel. The pastor who wants to keep his church full of people should first of all preach the gospel. I don't think Spurgeon in saying that was concerned with butts in the seat. But what I think Spurgeon was saying is that people hunger for truth, the truth about God the truth about what it means to know God. Eventually lies and counterfeit gods become exposed, but the truth will remain. I think that's what Spurgeon was talking about. The The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Even while that Instagram influencer is peddling a lie ton of that going on right now. God's truth has stood the test of time. The gospel has stood the test of time. Sooner or later, the truth of God's word draws people to Christ and his gospel. Amen, indeed. All people are made in God's image. Therefore, there, I think, is an instinct, an internal desire to be reconciled to God. Now, sin suppresses the truth, but man, the power of the grace of God can break in and open the barn doors wide open for any person. Yet, we have churches that are more keen on getting butts in the seat by entertaining than telling the truth. So I have no problem saying, number one, local churches are not as gospel-centered as they think, and number two, there is a yearning for truth. There is. And i got to be careful here. I don't want to disparage every church that exists that isn't Redemption Hill. It's not what I'm trying to do. But I do want to show what distinguishes a church like Redemption Hill from other churches, right? The distinction is significant. Redemption Hill Church is first and foremost about Jesus Christ and his crucifixion and resurrection from the grave. First Corinthians 2.2. 2. Further, because Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, we are a church on, miss- on, on mission with his message. Our Lord Jesus has handed the baton off to the church. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we declare a message that impacts our families and our community. Or wherever you work. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds me of why we're gathering this morning. It reminds us of what we are about Monday through Saturday. This passage reminds us of who we supremely value over anything and everything this world has to offer and why we value Jesus as our ultimate joy. Again, I know that's a long on-ramp to 1 Corinthians 15, but I really wanted to explain why the gospel is of first importance. So what do we see from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11? If you're a note taker, here's a brief outline. First of all, we need to be reminded. That's just simply verses 1 and 2. We need to be reminded of the gospel over and over and over again. We need to be reminded of the gospel facts. That's verses 3 to 7. We need to be reminded of the gospel mission, verses 5 to 8. And then we need to be reminded of the grace that comes from the gospel. That's verses 9 to 11. Let's start with why we need to be reminded. Paul says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received, in which you stand. It's like I would remind you, Redemption Hill Church, of the gospel that's being preached to you, which you've received, in which you stand. God's Word tells us that the church at Corinth has received the gospel, and some were standing firm in the gospel. It was a mixed bag, actually, when you read Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Some were being saved to the gospel, and yet they needed to be reminded of the gospel. From my experience in pastoral ministry, and just frankly, from my own life, I know that gospel reminders are absolutely necessary. You must be reminded whether you've been a Christian for like one day, one year, or 30 years. The truth should never get old, but it needs to become more precious to us over time. The Greek word for remind here in First Corinthians 15 is not like Shreese sending me multiple text messages to grab a, you know, coffee from the grocery store. It's not what's going on here. Instead, Paul is strongly urging the Corinthian church, and God now tells us, do not forget what Jesus has done for you. See what God continues to do in and through you because of the gospel. Do not forget. Like Even right now, you can reflect back on your life since since the moment the Lord saved you. And remind yourself of God's goodness, his kindness, his mercy, his grace in your life. Remind yourself of that. Remind yourself how the gospel has been at work in you over and over and over. Do not forget. I even just sit here and thinking to myself about all that the Lord has brought me through. Man, it's a ton. A ton. It appears that some of the Corinthians, some in the church of Corinth, were evidently far from appreciating what the gospel meant. It's like a person heard the gospel at a Billy Graham rally, raised their hand, came forward, and everyone was singing, Just as I Am, right? That person got plugged into an evangelical church, but the church never reminded that individual of the gospel. So a week, a month, a year later, that person walked away from God and the church because he had forgotten why he was there in the first place. The life, death, resurrection, ascension, and sovereign reign of Jesus Christ. And oh, how Sean Powers, me, can be so forgetful. Like I am preaching to myself this morning, 100%. And I know. I can take the most essential things in my life for granted. So even as a pastor, I need you to help me remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I get unfocused? Yeah. Do I get distracted? <laughs> yes. When's the football game on? I'm not against football. You get my point, right? You get distracted. We need reminders. Now, Paul reminds the Corinthian church of the gospel because some were losing their grip on it. That's kind of the end of verse 2. So I want to ask, what can cause us to lose our grip on the gospel? Lose focus of the gospel. Why do 21st century American Christians need to be reminded? Here's some, like, call this pastoral thoughts. We need reminding because we're prone to misprioritize the things of God. Do it all the time. Just think about your everyday life. It's go, 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 go. Like the only time when our life isn't go, go, go is probably when we're sick and you're forced to lay down. Other than that, generally speaking, it's go, go, go. And when life gets busy, God tends to get put on the shelf or regulated to the proverbial backseat. Priorities get shifted around, not because we don't love God. I would never question that but because we're not intentional in cultivating that relationship with God and reminding ourselves of the gospel, of why you were saved in the first place. And so we need to fight by reminding each other to keep the gospel as the priority of our lives. I've already stated, but I want to state it one more time. We get distracted, right? Not only do we get busy, but we get distracted. We live in a world that creates so many distractions, So much is vying for your attention from the moment you wake up until you lay your head on the pillow. And even at that, you're distracted, right? I mean, temptation now is just like, let's just talk about screens for a minute. How distracting is that in your life? I know it is for me. Let's just be honest. We can go down the line. And when the, the distractions compound the gospel of Jesus Christ can get lost in the mix. And so there are times when we need to remove the distractions and be reminded of the gospel. Like, I'm not against anyone, like, using a screen when they read their, read their Bible. I don't have, like, a philosophical thing. But here's what I do know. If I'm going to, like, use my Logos Bible software and I'm going to read my Bible, right, how quickly do I get off track? Pretty quickly. So when I learned that about myself, I started going back to my journal Bible, pen, paper, Bible. I mean, right? We just know that about technology. Let's, let's, let's prevent the distractions as much as possible. You know yourself better than I know you, so I leave it to you to kind of discern and figure that out. Another thing, it's easy to, easy to waltz through life professing faith in Christ, but the gospel has a little impact on the heart and little impact on the way a person lives. This is perhaps the most dangerous place to be. And I think this is in part why Paul is writing to the Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian church. This is what Jesus calls lukewarm Christianity in Revelation 3 when he spoke to the church at Laodicea. Instead of Jesus being our top priority and all satisfying joy, Psalm 1611, he's become like the add-on, right? It is the bumper sticker. People want Jesus as Savior because hell is real and scary and eternal, but not Jesus as Lord. He isn't king. And, any, and really, anyone who wants a Savior, but not the king, do you have a Savior at all? There are other reasons why we need to be reminded of the gospel. But we know for sure that fighting for the gospel, reminding ourselves of that, that we need to tell each other about it and its effects on our lives. Let me make my point from a local church perspective. This local church does not exist to have the latest and most incredible light and you know, smoke show during worship. I mean, you got to figure that out in like two seconds, right? You walk into a gymnasium, it's like, like these lights are from the elementary school and we just do nothing with them, <laughs> you know? That's the light show, people. <laughs> Those things become the distraction, though, of the gospel. And that's not what we're about. It's never been what we've been about. And by the grace of God, I pray it never will in the future be what we're about. Plenty of churches have the corner on the market for the light and smoke show during their worship set. Not here. This church exists because we want to make much of Jesus Christ. We want to make much of Jesus Christ in this fellowship, in our neighborhoods, and our city. And so we will remind each other of the beautiful realities of the gospel over and over and over at Redemption Hill Church. You will be a reminder of the gospel on Sunday. Lord willing, you're being reminded of the gospel in your fellowship groups. When we sing together, we sing the gospel. Thank you, Ryan, for putting together that that set list. We were singing the gospel, man. We're going to continue to do that. I pray and hope our guests hear and see the gospel on display during every church service. If we allow it, the gospel will get into every crevice and crack of this church. Point one: We need the reminders. Point two: The gospel facts, and so Paul reminds us of these old truths, which are, which always need to be new and active in our lives. In verses three to seven, Paul continues to make um, his gospel appeal by showing the historical facts of the gospel, which are connected to the scriptures and and affirmed by numerous people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. Let's take a look at the gospel facts, which are revealed in Holy Scripture. Here are verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance, it's the title of the sermon, of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Remember, when Paul says, in accordance with the Scriptures, he is referencing the Old Testament. In particular, he was reading the Greek Old Testament. The Old Testament witnesses to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're gonna, get, get going to continue and finish our sermon series through the book of Hebrews, promise. But what have we seen through the book of Hebrews, Right? The book of Hebrews is a brilliant sermon based upon the Old Testament that speaks about recorded events in the New Testament. Another name for the book of Hebrews could be the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 is simply picking up on the same theme. Here are three essential gospel facts in accordance with the scriptures from verses 3 and 4. Christ died for the sins of his people. Christ died on a Roman cross so that those who repent of sin and trust in Christ will be forgiven of their sin. The importance of the crucifixion cannot be articulated fully, it seems, because it's so profound. But here's a particular quote that I find helpful. There is no gospel at all unless the death of Christ can be seen to deal with sin once and for all. Here's the second gospel fact from verses 3 to 4. Christ was buried. He was buried in a tomb so that there would be no mistake about his death. The Jewish burial preparations were made and then applied to the body of Jesus Christ. Here's the third gospel fact. Christ rose from the grave so that we might have hope. In the first century, Romans killed a lot of people via crucifixion. That's just a historical fact. But only one walked away from the tomb. And the one who walked away, walked away with purpose. Listen to what is probably one of my favorite theologians, John Calvin. This is what he says about the resurrection of Jesus. Although we have complete salvation through his death because we are reconciled to God by it, it is by his resurrection, not his death, that we are said to be born to a living If we were to read the rest of 1 Corinthians, if you continue to read past verse 11, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, you would see that Paul urges, that if he makes this argument that, you know, if Jesus actually didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't walk away from the tomb, then our faith is in vain, right? That's one of the points he makes throughout the rest of that chapter. Yeah, The point that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians 15 is that he did walk away. Now, allow me to tie all the gospel facts together from verses three and four. Because of the vicarious atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross, you were not condemned. Like, that's a gospel truth you need to receive. You were not condemned, but you're forgiven. Instead of bondage, there's freedom. You went from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. Because of the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is hope instead of dismay. No reason to be dismayed. Brothers and sisters, we have hope because of the gospel. There is eternal life with God instead of eternal hell. You no longer need to fear the sting of death, Christian. Like, How comforting is that? You don't need to fear death. When the bad diagnosis comes, right? When the pain is real, the physical pain, you don't need to fear death because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the reasons why Paul says the gospel is of first importance is, one, because it saves. But there's two more reasons why the gospel is of first importance. From the gospel flows the teachings of Christ. Uh, Like I said, there's like too many gospel-centered people who disconnect Christ's saving gospel with Christ's teachings, the disconnect has created a shallow gospel, and frankly, easy believism, right? Do you want to know what it means, to become more like Christ? Love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. follow his commands. No one likes that part, right? Because it requires first to do something. A third reason why the gospel is of first importance. Is because it is a window that we look through to understand the world that we live in. For example, I think everyone uh, and their brother <laughs> senses that 2024 is going to be a wild year. Right? I may, may have mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Perhaps 2020 was just like a warm up to the the real game. Right? 2024 might be a Fourth of July fireworks show that goes badly and all of a sudden starts the neighborhood houses on fire, right? I don't know, but I think everyone kind of senses it. But Christians should not be dismayed at all, at all. Christians should not get discouraged. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear. You are a Christian that stands in the middle of a crazy culture but you can make sense of what is going on because you have God's word. You have the gospel at work in your life. You have assurance that Jesus is sovereignly ruling over all things. Man, how do we, we forget that all the time when when we perceive things to go sideways. Jesus is still sovereign over all things. I'm fairly certain that whatever lies ahead, this is not the Lord Jesus' first rodeo. (laughs) You know? Yet Yet we all get all worked up. Oh, that person got elected or whatever. And I'm not saying no, that's not important to, to think about and discuss. Certainly, I got political opinions. But Jesus is still sovereign. If you're going to say that the gospel is of first importance, then you need to allow the gospel to inform how you make sense of the world that you live in. Right? Not the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or the Des Moines Register or CNN.com, foxnews.com, msnbc.com. You notice I covered in the entire political spectrum just to cover my butt. (laughs) No, the gospel is what informs how we understand the call. It's God's word. As we've already seen, the scriptures affirm these gospel truths, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because God reveals himself in the Bible, it is no surprise that his plan of redemption and salvation is evident. I love the phrase, in accordance with the scriptures from today's text, because it tells me that all of the Bible points to Jesus. The entire gospel happened in accordance with the Bible, right? God's word. If we're reading our Bibles correctly, we know that Jesus came and that he's going like, to come back too, right? The Bible reminds us of the gospel whenever we open it up. Here's just one more quote from our friend Charles Spurgeon, pastor from London. It's, it's probably like top 10 quotes that I've, that I've used or I've heard. I've stated, do you not know that from every little town and village and tiny, tiny hamlet in England, there's a road leading to London? Whenever I get hold of a text, a passage from the Bible, I say to myself, there is a road from here to Jesus Christ, and I mean to keep it on his track until I find him. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is about God's mission to redeem his people through Jesus Christ. We, the church, have a tremendous privilege to carry that message forward. As we carry this message forward, it impacts lives in communities. After reminding us of the gospel facts, Paul brilliantly, I think, adds verses 5 to 8, which tells us about various witnesses to the resurrected Christ, right? And I quote, And then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. When I read these verses, I'm stunned because when someone with a rock in their shoe or an axe to grind, approaches me and says, bro, can you prove that Jesus rose from the dead? Right? It's like an apologetic question. I say, bro, the burden of proof is actually on you to tell me why Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Because I have access to many ancient documents that record that Jesus went to people after he rose from the dead. <laughs> Paul gives specifics and generalities of people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. But let's just take one example, right? Maybe two. Cephas, who is Peter, is the same guy who denied Jesus three times before Jesus was tortured by Roman soldiers and then hung on a Roman cross. If a person appears to be giving up on Jesus, at least in that moment, it's probably Peter. Then Peter sees Jesus after the resurrection. What happens? Peter is utterly changed. Peter went from denying Jesus to denying himself for the sake of the gospel. He eventually was martyred for his faith in Jesus. Christian martyrdom is so different than, um, it's kind of a um, footnote, right? It's so different from martyrdom in other faiths. We don't, Christians aren't martyred to take the lives of others. They die. They're murdered as a testimony to Jesus Christ. It's truly remarkable when you kind of sit back and you kind of examine martyrdom throughout history and different faith, religions, whatever. We deny ourselves in order to look to Christ. It's very different. And many people that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection were martyred. Peter was not the only one who embraced the life-changing power of the gospel. Hundreds of people who saw Jesus after his resurrection began to turn the world upside down by telling friends, neighbors, communities about Jesus Christ. Many of these saints uh, were convinced of the gospel, that reconciliation and peace with the Holy God is through faith in Jesus Christ, and they were, again, martyred for their faith. Like, Explain that to me apart from the saving power of jesus christ apart from the gospel like we're, we're prone to like save our skins like to avoid death and yet people willingly were burned hung from a cross while looking up and proclaiming jesus christ These are spectacular truths in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. And just as God changed the apostles and first century disciples, so is every person in this room, every person in this room, who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, has been changed by God. By grace alone, through faith alone, you have been saved by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ alone. The life, death, resurrection, ascension, and sovereign reign of King Jesus are the most precious truths we could ever know. And we need to be reminding each other daily to continue to grip the glories of the gospel. What else did Christ purchase for us at the cross? Grace upon grace. The grace of God is the last truth I want you to notice from our text. It was the grace of God at work in Paul's life, which is at work in your life right now. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Like Remember Paul used to persecute Christians. God radically saved him. I am what I am, and by his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Three times in this verse, verse 10, Paul says, that the grace of God was at work in him during his ministry. Now, no one in this room is the great apostle Paul, but the truth of what Paul says remains. The gospel that saves is the gospel that provides sustaining grace. Sustaining grace is at work in your life, causing you to be changed more and more into the image of Christ. Um, I had wondered out loud one time, and Sharice happened to be in the room. It's like, why is he talking to himself again? She was there. And I asked the question Have you ever wondered why grace is not one of the fruits of the Spirit? Like, I don't know why the question came to my mind, but it was like, I was thinking about the grace of God and kind of mentally working through the fruits of the Spirit. I'm like, why isn't it there? I think grace is not a fruit of the Spirit because it is grace that comes from God that allows us to apply the fruit of the Spirit. By God's grace, I do love others. By God's grace, I am joyful. By God's grace, I am at peace. By God's grace, I extend patience to others. <laughs> you know? John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, sums up grace, the grace of God, with these seven words. <laughs> so good, so profound, yet so simple. Nothing can be done aright without grace. Bunyan for the win, right? Right? Let me say it again, just because it's so good. Nothing can be done aright without grace. That's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. From those gospel facts rooted in history, testifying in the word of God is the grace of God. Flowing from the gospel of Jesus Christ is the grace of God. It's like standing in front of the Hoover Dam and all of a sudden the dam bursts and God's grace touches every part of your life. By God's grace, you are sustained every day. By God's grace, you are reminded of what is of first importance, the gospel. And by grace, you continue to grip what is of first importance. To close, I have a few thoughts about how to apply the gospel, right? It's one thing like I intellectually understand the gospel. It's another, you know, You read about it in God's Word from 1 Corinthians 15, but what does it mean to apply the gospel? Being reminded of the gospel is essential. If the church in Corinth needed to be reminded by the Apostle Paul, then we need to be reminded. But I'm not content with only being reminded. And I know many of you are not satisfied with only being reminded. Nothing, and I mean nothing, has the power to transform a life than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what if I told you that the grace that flows from the gospel can restore broken relationships? It can. It has, and it does. What if I told you that the grace flowing from the gospel can mend marriages? Got news for you, friends. It does. What if I told you that the grace that flows from the gospel allows you to put away sin? It does. What if I told you that the grace that flows from the gospel can keep you from living in fear and cause you to live using godly wisdom? Well, allow me to introduce to you the book of Proverbs. <laughs> and by grace, read the book of Proverbs. That's your primer. To not live in fear. And by God's grace, live in godly wisdom. And what if I told you that the grace that flows from the gospel anchors you to peace when presidential elections don't go the way that you hope. How about that? I have a sneaky suspicion you're going to need some of that peace leading up to November. And by God's grace, you have it. Again, keep qualifying this. I got opinions, right? I have my temptations to fear, right? Man, man. Do I need the peace that flows from the grace of the gospel when I am tempted to fear? Christian, the grace that flows from the gospel is available to you, provided you tap into God's grace by walking in obedience, right? Do that. You know, we have taken a good look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11, but I can quickly summarize 1 Corinthians chapters 1 all the way to chapters 14, like leading us right to the front door of today's text. And it's this, guys, knock it off. (laughs) That's Paul. And for 14 chapters, knock it off. Here's the gospel. Now live in the grace of the gospel. (laughs) In accordance with the scriptures, so that you can obediently walk in God's grace. Christ was buried in the tomb in accordance with the scriptures, so that you can obediently walk in God's grace. Christ walked away from the tomb in accordance with the scriptures, so that you can obediently walk in God's grace. And may the words that come out of your mouth and the testimony of your life be a testimony of the grace of the gospel at work in your life. Amen. And let's pray.
0: You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.